You're listening to an audio teaching from Rivers Harvest Church on Alaska, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit riversharvest.org. And remember, Jesus went about doing good, healing all those oppressed of the evil one. God bless. Let's talk a little bit about end times, and if I have time to talk about the anointing, then I'm going to do that. So, uh, Father, we just pray for your presence and life. And Lord God, we ask that you teach us, guide us, fill us with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, the book of Revelation, I'm going to end it today actually because I want to talk about the season of Christmas when I get back. And uh, so uh, the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's basically the transition of Jesus Christ from high priest to become king. And so the book of Revelation is that transition time of him now becoming king of the world, not just king of heaven, but king of the world. Right now, the God of this world is Satan, but he's going to, Jesus is going to take it over, okay? So that transition time is in the book of Revelation, and it's about that, Jesus coming to reveal himself as king of this world. Now that's exciting. Now when you read it though, there's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of things that are going on that someone might say, well, I'm confused. Um, you know what? It's, it's not actually as hard as we think. And I believe that God used those symbols because the culture of the time, the Greeks and the Hebrews, often used symbols and allegories to tell a story. And so God did it the same way. Now, our culture isn't used to that. And so when we talk about the book of Revelation, then don't be confused. Just be excited that Jesus is going to be coming back soon, okay? And uh, so I'm just going to share a few uh, illustrations uh, this morning, not even maybe about specific passages, but just some examples of symbolism or parallels in scripture and of course if you could pull that up for me that would be great so here's some parallels between America and the ancient Roman Empire uh, both were leading superpowers of the world okay sometimes it's hard to understand because one's present tense and one's past tense so I think I made them all past both the greatest militaries in the world both occupied the Middle East Both dealt directly with Israel and the Jewish people. Both had a Capitol Hill. Both had a Senate. Both had a main leader, Caesar and the president. Both had an eagle as its emblem. Both allow the killing of infants. Both allow freedom and practice of homosexuality. Both accepted the gods of other nations. Both had stadiums for sporting events. Both emphasize races, chariots, and cars. Both have national anthems at sporting events. Both stood when anthem was sung at stadiums. Both had a flag and pledged allegiance to that flag. Okay, so what I'm saying is, where do we stand as America when we talk about end times? And it could go one of two ways. In some ways, we're like the Roman Empire, which was more worldly. In other words, we're the other ways, we are the best friend of Israel. Okay, right now we're still the best friend of Israel. And because of that, we are blessed. Listen to me. If we support Israel, we are blessed. It says if you 
God said to Abraham, whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed, okay? We stand for Israel. We are blessed as a nation. We need to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it says, okay? So we stand between these two. In some ways, we're worldly. Some ways, we're spiritual. We are still the best hope, I believe, that this world has for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the good news. We are the best chance that this world has of propagating the gospel. It could be come through television. It can come through other means. Now there's other countries doing well. South Korea is sending out a lot of missionaries. But we still have the technology, the ability to reach out like no other. So I believe that God wants to bless America. I believe that God wants to bring revival to America. I believe that God continues to... Enhance America, even in the midst of some of the goofy stuff that goes on. Okay, so how many want your country blessed? Okay, then we speak blessing. Even in the midst of some of the craziness of the presidential stuff. I mean, you, you listen to it over and over and over again. You say, I can't believe they said this. I can't believe they're doing this. And some, if, you, if that's all we watch, guess what? Our mouth gets down, and we start speaking negative. Speak life, right? And so we speak life to our country. We speak revival. And by the way, Trudy didn't have a chance to talk about declarations a little bit. But in the book of Job, at the end, he says, I will declare a thing before it comes to pass. There's a place for declarations. I believe the Psalms are songs in declaration form. Okay, read Psalms 149 and 150. He's declaring to the principalities and powers. Okay, so there's a place for declarations. There's a place for prayer. Sometimes they're combined, okay? But basically, I'm saying, let's speak life. Let's declare things that are godly things from our mouth. In the book of James, it says, sometimes we speak curses out of our mouth, and sometimes we speak blessings. Wow, that sounds strong, doesn't it? Okay, when, how many have been affected by a father, for example, that said something to you that really has affected you your whole life? No, not many, too many people want to admit it. Okay? And it might not even be something they said. It might be something they implied. Okay? You want to speak life to your children, you want to speak life to your city, life to your country. Why? Because there's power in what we say. If you think about it, we're like a little dynamo inside. We've got the spirit, the shazam of God, the fire of God inside of us. And Jesus even said, quoted, that we are like little gods. Not that we're God, okay, I'm not going there. But that we have power in our lives because God has created us as a spirit being. And as a spirit being, we speak life into the atmosphere or we speak death into the atmosphere. Okay? So let's continue to speak life. Speak positive things. What, what is it that you want to have happen? And not that everything you declare is going to happen, but at least speak to your kids positive things. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to figure out, especially when you have seven and their personalities are totally different. Huh, Larry laughing, eight. 
<laughs> Are they all the same, Larry? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you relate to some a little easier than others because you don't get the certain personality. How many have had friends like that? <laughs> okay, look at your neighbor and say, man, I relate to you really well. <laughs> some don't relate to anyone well. They always think it's somebody else's fault. Well, maybe, maybe you don't relate to anyone well. Maybe you need to start looking in the mirror a little bit. <laughs> okay, that's just a side note. But the truth is we need to speak life to people and speak life through their language, speak life through the things that they receive well. I'll just give you a few examples. My girls are actually sometimes easier than guys. But the girls, I mean, Christina, she's not here this morning. She's up in Minneapolis at a friend's church. And uh, she's black and white. She just, I mean, uh, and sometimes you think, well, does she even have feelings? Okay, because she just tells it like it is, and you've seen her up here give her announcements, you know, um, but we're trying to get her to, you know, tone down a little bit every once in a while and help that stuff out, and then Brooklyn comes along, and she's like totally the opposite. Dad, what you said right there might have hurt their feelings. <laughs> she's feeling everything for everyone, okay, and so... <laughs> You're thinking, how do I deal with this? You've got one, it just, you know, boom, you can tell her something, bing. And then the other one, you've got to be very careful how you say anything, because if it's said the wrong way, or with an inflection, or a feeling, <laughs> you might throw her off for a whole week. You know? But that's the way God's made him. And then, and then I've got Rachel, my Rachel. She's, uh, boy, she's just a lover. All she wants to do is, I mean, she wants to hug, and she wants, you know, her love language is just uh, hugging, I think. <laughs> and she's a feeler, okay? So you've got these different personalities, and you're trying to deal with them all, and when, the more you have, the more you have to deal with but you know what? God has made them unique, and God has blessed me with all these different personalities. But Lord, bless me with wisdom to know how to deal with each one the way God would deal with them. And that's the hard part. How do I relate to them like God would relate to them so that they become everything that God has called them to be? Speak life. Everybody say, speak life. So when we talk about America and some of the things that are happening, we speak life. If you would change that, Corey, to the next one. Uh, double references in Scripture. I want to just give you an example. And it was uh, from Matthew. And he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And Hosea, this comes from the reference in Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, if I was reading Hosea for what it says, would it refer anything to Jesus? Okay? Out of Egypt I have called my son, but he was referring to Israel just before that. So the context was Israel, but Matthew uses it as a reference 
to Jesus because by the Spirit of God, it was called out of the book of Hosea to refer to Jesus. So when we're talking about prophecy, there's some things that are like that, parallels in Scripture, and sometimes God will give you a reference in Scripture, and you'll think, where is that, and why, is, why are you giving me that? But it's the very thing you need because it's led by the Spirit of God. This is an inspired book. And when the Holy Spirit gives you something from this book, it is God giving it to you in your context, in your time. Okay, so some people, they get so worked up about context, but you know what? Context is all about the Holy Spirit giving you something. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. Amen. Okay, so sometimes we try to put things in a box too much. I just wanted to give you that example. Let's go to the next one. Okay, who's this referring to? Without a miracle in, in mother's womb, he would never have been born. As an infant, he was taken out to Egypt. He returned from Egypt to the promised land. He saw signs and wonders and the hand of God move for him. He was slain by his enemies and thought to never live again. He is alive today and will never be destroyed again. Who's that referring to? No, it's not. It's referring to Israel. Okay? It's referring to both. And so what I'm saying is, there's a lot of references in Scripture, even though it seems like this way in its context, it actually has a double meaning, okay? Without a miracle in his mother's womb, okay? They were born out of God, Israel was. As an infant, a young nation, they were taken to Egypt. They returned from Egypt to the promised land. They saw signs and wonders by the hand of God move for them and through them. And they slayed their enemies and... They are alive today and will never be destroyed again. Live as a nation. Born as a nation. After close to 2,000 years. Okay, I just thought I'd share that as an example. Let's go to the next one. Corey. Okay, here's some examples of uh, uh, numbers in Scripture. Three is... Uh, you're, uh, it refers to unity, five, grace, six, man, seven, perfection, 12, government, 40, testing, okay? So uh, as an example, 40, how, how long did it rain? In 40 days and 40 nights. How long were they in the wilderness, Israel? 40 years, okay? You know that they, uh, why they were in the, uh, in the desert for 40 years? The wilderness? Okay. They, they didn't believe God for the promised land. Okay, that's the general answer, but here's why, though. Why 40 years? It's because they went in for 40 days. Okay? And God multiplied it to 40 years as far as the time then of testing because uh, that's the way he does things. Okay, you disobeyed me for 40 days. These spies came in with a positive report, but most of them with a negative report. Okay, you're going to spend the next 40 years in the wilderness. Okay, so that's sort of a double reference, isn't it? When you look at Abraham and Isaac, Isaac he took his son Isaac and took him for a three-day journey. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. 
He uh, took and put wood upon his back. Jesus took wood upon his back. It was all symbolic of God and Jesus, the Father and Jesus. Okay, there's a lot of references right there. If you go to the next story, Abraham and his, uh, excuse me, uh, when, when he's trying to find a bride for Isaac, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the servant again. Uh, Eleazar? Yeah, he goes, he goes over to his kin's place to find a bride, and Eliezer means a helper. So Eliezer is all about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit helps us in life to bring a bride to the Son. Okay, now it refers to uh, not just that, but now Jesus and his bride, the church. Okay, do you know that the Father has a bride? It's Israel. Jesus has a bride, it's called the church, okay? So all these things are in the Bible, and they're symbolic or parallel meanings. Let's go to the next one. Here's a neat one. Okay, when they camped, I I wish I could have had enough time to put a picture up here, but when they camped, on the north was the tribe of Dan. And guess what their symbol on their banner was? An eagle. To the east. Okay, I guess let's see how you would do it. Over here on, for you guys, right? Let's just face east. That makes it easier. Uh, was Judah. Their symbol on their banner was a lion. To the south was Reuben. And their symbol on their banner was a man. To the west was Manasseh, which was an ox. Do you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John symbolized those four things? A lion, an ox, Jesus being the son of man in the book of Luke. In John, it's symbolic of an eagle. So all these things were manifest in the four Gospels. But then let's read in the book of Revelations here, chapter 4, verse 7. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So as it was on earth, it's in heaven. You know, when we pray, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Look at your neighbor and say, on earth as it is in heaven. We're trying to pull from heaven things that are realities up there and bring them down to earth. Guess what? When God had the children of Israel camp, he he did it just like it was in heaven. There was a reality in heaven, and he, he made it a reality on earth in how they suited up and how they uh, set up camp. Isn't that cool? So... I can't wait to see these four living creatures. And I believe they're camped north, south, east, and west, you know, that they're four corners. Six being the number of man, uh, I believe they relate more to us than even heaven, okay? They have six wings, okay? Uh, by the way, I, I just thought I'd let you know, I found out a new thing that Satan more than likely wasn't an archangel. He was something even greater than an archangel or made unique, kind of like one of these four living creatures, okay? Because it doesn't refer to him as an archangel, okay? He was made unique 
he was made uh, perfect, it says. He had all these instruments inside of him, and he was a beautiful creature from the beginning, and he deceived everybody because he probably had more gifting than other, the others that were in heaven, let's say angels or whatever creatures were up in heaven. So in his pride, he pulled out a third of the angels, and that's found in the book of Revelation. Let's go to the next one. Here's an interesting thing to make us look at the U.S. Do you know that on the north, the president, his symbol is an eagle? Okay, I just put a, a map there. That's the White House on the top. On the east, the capital is a lion, symbolic, and they're the lawgivers. On the south, the Jefferson Memorial is symbolic of man in the west. The Lincoln Memorial is a servant or a bull. Do you know that the battle of the Civil War was found in the tribe, the, the name was Manassas, kind of like Manasseh in the Bible, okay, which was the bull, and it was started in a place called Bull Run. Anyway, coincidence? I don't know. Just interesting. Let's go to the next one. Okay, that's it. Okay, so when we look at uh, uh, these things in Scripture, we need God to show us what they mean at times. And, uh, but we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we say, God, what are you saying? Okay, now I want to transition a little bit and talk a little bit about the anointing, which I started a few weeks ago, if I could. And uh, I don't have to go through them all necessarily. I just want to hit on them and, and just uh, share when the presence of God comes in, the anointing of God comes in, how does it manifest and how do we react to it? My eighth point on that was the anointing is demanding upon your flesh. Deion Sanders became a Christian and he asked his pastor for help to preach a sermon and the pastor helped him through this and uh, he gave his sermon and after his sermon he went to the pastor and he said, I've just got one question. I, I've, I'm in great shape, I'm in greater shape than most anybody alive but when I preached, I was worn out. Is there a reason for that? And he said, that's because of the anointing of God. When you preach and you're under the anointing of God, it's hard on your flesh. Okay? So you say, I want to be a preacher. I want to do something great for God. Guess what? You're going to get worn out. Because it's emotionally taxing and it's hard on your body because... The body isn't used to the anointing of God. Ninth, the anointing, when it falls, will take you to your weakness. You know, Isaiah, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. His train filled the temple. And he says, I am an unholy man. And it says he took a coal, put it on his lips to cleanse his lips. Why? So that they would speak true things. And when I listened to Andrew's testimony today, it reminded me of that. Because, Andrew, God has been working in your life in this past, uh, definitely, year, right? Maybe not even that long. I mean, it's been like heavy duty, okay? So he had a lot of things to overcome. Some of those I didn't even know. But what did God, when the anointing came upon you, what did he do? He started dealing with your weakness, 
He started dealing with that thing that was tormenting you. Why? Because that's what the anointing does. It goes to that area of weakness in your life and helps you in that area of weakness. And so when you come to church, there's lot, that's why a lot of people don't like to come to church. They feel guilty every time they come. They feel weak every time they come. They feel like God's dealing with, why I can't go to this church because I feel guilty every time I go there. It's not the preacher and it's not the church. It's the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost isn't satisfied to leave you where you're at. He wants you to be holy. And so if you're sitting here today and you say, you know what? I never feel good when I come to church. Well, then deal with the issue that God's wanting you to deal with, and you can feel better the next week. He likes to deal with our weaknesses. Why? Because he's called the helper. Okay? He's also called holy. Okay, at number 10, under the anointing, never take the anointing of God anointing of God for granted. Samson is an example of this. He thought he was, uh, you know, set up okay. He became strong whenever the anointing of God was upon him and his long hair. I will do as I did before, and I'll take care of my enemies, but not realizing that his girlfriend had just snipped off his hair, his locks. Okay, so he lost all his weakness, or excuse me, lost all of his strength because... He disobeyed God. And so when we take the anointing of God for granted, oftentimes we could lose the very thing that God wants us to have because we're just taking him for granted. Okay? So here's my problem. When the presence of God comes in a strong way, here's how we take him for granted, I feel. It would be my issue too, okay, so I'm not seeing the church, is where I'd be in a hurry when we pray for somebody up front, for example. And it's rather than wait for the anointing of God and the presence of God to fall upon that person, sometimes we just want to say our quick prayer and be done. Oh, Lord, bless him, touch him. Lord, may he be healed in Jesus' name, amen, okay? Maybe it's more than just a prayer that you need. Maybe it's actually the presence of God that needs to come and do his work. And what if that takes tarrying five or ten minutes? That's hard, isn't it? In a culture like ours, it says, you know, I, you start looking at your watch. Pastor Andy's going long today. I'm kind of worried. I'm going to miss the Packer game. I'm going to miss the kickoff, you know. So we start looking at things like that rather than wait on the Lord. Not that every week's going to be that way, but you know it is very important to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than it is to my flesh and what I want to do. And that's hard to do when we're used to doing certain things certain ways. Okay, I didn't hear an amen on that one. I guess it's just me that's dealing with that one. The anointing of God brings distortion. It's disorienting. For example, in Isaiah it says, Unto you a son is born and a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. So 
in that verse, it sees Jesus as a child, and it flips over to the millennium and says he's the ruler of everything. It forgets everything in between. So the anointing of God kind of does that, it does that at times, where we think that God's going to work in a certain way, but we're not connecting with him exactly as we should. And so it disorients us in the sense of when I get a word from God, especially if you're a new believer, you get a word from God, you've heard from God, and suddenly you think everything's going to happen this next week. Woo-hoo-hoo! I heard from God, everything's going to happen this next week. I remember getting that when I was on in the truck, my little Mazda B2000 coming home from... Uh, work at one in the morning. I said, I'm just crying out to God. I just want to know where you're calling me. I just want to know what you've called me to do. And this is after two years of praying and fasting, okay? God speaks. I mean, I literally, I mean, it wasn't audible, but I heard him speak to my spirit. Son, there's going to be a time in your life where you know that you know you're in the center of my will. Right now, walk by faith. Man, I was so excited. Yes, I've heard from God. I am so excited. And then I realized he didn't give me any direction yet. (laughs) So it only lasted about two weeks, that excitement, and suddenly, oh, God, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And, you know, here I'm thinking everything should happen right away. And with God, he's patient. And so, anyway, uh, the rest of that story is I come home, and uh, I work for my dad because my deal with God was if I'm good enough for you, you put me in a position. I'm not going to apply anywhere. And so I worked for him for several months. And uh, all in one day, two different pastors came to me and said, how would you like to work part-time in ministry? So all in one day, boom, I knew that I knew that it was in the center of God's will. But you know what? This was six to eight months later. Man, God, why do you do that? See, that's what happens when God gives us something specifically for us. We think, boom, we're going to do it. I can't tell you how many people come up to me, Pastor Andy, we should do this as a ministry. You know, and they're all excited about it, talking about it like it's happening, it's going, it's really going to. And, you know, this this is an experience thing. And this is over and over, over and over and over again. Why? Because God speaks to people. That's exciting. But then I usually say, well, when do you want to start? Not me. (laughs) Well, God didn't give me that revelation. He's obviously given it to you. Okay? But that happens over and over because people get excited. They've heard from God, and they think it has to happen this next week. Don't give up on your dream just because it doesn't happen in a week. Keep going. Do your part. Study to show yourself approved. Whatever it takes to get to that end run. I, uh, you know, God called me at 15 years old. I knew that I knew I was called into ministry. I still had to go through a process of study, preparation, going through hard knocks, different things that went on. But I did my part so God could open the doors to do his part. We don't just sit back and wait. Well, that ministry's going to start someday. Well, maybe you need to start training now. One of the best things that God did for me is he put me in the children's ministry. Because children, I thought I needed to be a deep theologian. 
And so I had all these books. I purchased two to $3,000 worth of theology books. Probably haven't cracked half of them. Nah, I've looked at them. But, I, you know, I wanted to, I mean, that was the goal, right? You had something in your mind. I want to be a deep teacher and of the word and stuff. And, and then he puts me in the children's ministry, and I wasn't able to use one of the books. Not for five years. Children's minister. I couldn't use one of the books. I had to learn to tell stories. I had to learn to be fun. I had to learn to use puppets. And I struggled with that even initially. I thought, is this biblical? (laughs) Okay. It's the greatest thing that ever happened. Because I went out of the head and into the heart. I found out one thing that's true about kids. Games are to kids like worship is to adults. And when they play games, it's like their spirit comes alive. Do any of your kids want to play games like during the holidays? They grab those games and you're thinking, oh, no, I don't want to play Candyland. You're thinking that, but you know what? To them and their spirit, they're thriving when that happens. Not that uh, they don't worship, too, because they do, obviously. But then they like stories, and they like having fun, and they like somebody that can be uh, uh, fun with them. Okay? I learned all that stuff. And I remember, I'll, I'll just, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but um, I remember going to the shoe homes in La Crosse, and at that time it was much poorer than it even is now, because they look pretty nice now. Um, and the monks had moved into town, and we had like 5,000 monks and uh, a lot of them, I would say 50% of the shoe homes were Hmong families. And, and I'd go door to door and, and I'd invite kids to come to, we called it MVP's Kids Club, Mini Valiant Praisers, okay? Uh, so I went door to door and nobody was wanting to come. And I remember thinking, God, you've got to change this somehow. Somehow we need to have one of these kids want to come, you know, to, to our program. And so I had prayed, and I had to have a breakthrough. Finally, I had a breakthrough with one family. They started coming. And pretty soon, I had 40-some kids. This is, <laughs> this is before, right before all the rules. Uh, well, it's kind of the transition period. I had 40-some kids in a van. Yeah. There were times we rode in the back of the pickup. I mean, I mean, this is like, you think now it's like, you crazy? <laughs> Forty-some kids in the van. And, and uh, when the pastor saw this, I said, we need to do something, you know, because this is probably not the best idea. <laughs> so we took up an offering as a church, and we uh, got enough that Sunday to buy a used bus. And then we spent our time, we, we went through two or three buses where we sanded them down, painted them, and, uh, and uh, got them all, you know, looking non-yellow, okay? And uh, anyway, we used to uh, fill the bus up 
every Wednesday night. When, when that Hmong family came, it started a, a, a snowball effect. I'd go throughout the north side and pick them up every Wednesday night. We'd have full bus. My biggest group was 130 kids. And listen, I'm not like my wife. My wife is very organized in the sense of she likes to have kids for so many kids, uh, teacher for so many kids. Uh, we had some teachers and helpers, but I could self-entertain those kids, 130 of them. Well, it wasn't always, let's say the average was 80, all by myself for the most part, okay? Because I don't have a, one thing led to another, bing, 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 bing. And that was through training, it was through having fun, it was through these different things, and I'd have helpers and all that. But all that was preparation for other things. You see what I'm saying? God knew I had a weakness. And the weakness was I was in my head. And God wanted me to get it from, he- from the heart. I can speak more from the heart to a kid than I could ever do from the head. Okay, And it's that way even now for my older kids, for my younger kids. Okay, today Josiah says, Dad, you know, I went to church last week. I didn't skip like you did. <laughs> he didn't say that, but he's, he, he, he came in and played drums because we needed a drummer. And uh, he said, would it be okay if then I go hunting this week, since you were able to hunt last weekend and took the vacation? I said, you know, that's, when I was younger, I was, that was like blasphemous. I never missed it day of church okay but I'm thinking my boy his heart his heart needs to be ministered to first and right now he's thinking more about God and the tree stand than he is coming to church on a Sunday somebody said that pastor would you rather have me fishing thinking about God or would you rather have me in church thinking about fishing I said, that's not right. (laughs) You can do both. Okay. So uh, what is it that ministers to the heart directly versus just in the head? That's important. That's when the anointing can touch people and touch their lives. Okay. Um, I can save the rest for later. I know we're going long, and I want to worship a little longer. Thank you, Father, for blessing us today. Thank you for ministering to our hearts. Lord, I thank you that our lives are in your hands. Lord, I just pray for a blessing upon everyone and safety and strength. Lord, I just thank you that during this season, more of our friends and relatives are going to know about Jesus. And Lord, we're going to shine our lights. We thank you for your kingdom. May it come in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You have a wonderful Sunday.